Prepare your heart to receive another powerful message by David Harabedian, recorded live at Eagle Heart Ministries. Rules for properly administering the gifts of the Spirit. Now there's seven prerequisites that we're going to talk about tonight. Prerequisites. Like you have to take a certain class as a prerequisite to go to the next class, correct? Yep. So the first class we're going to have within our class tonight is the prerequisites to operating in the gifts. Because God gives gifts severally or multiple gifts to all those that will seek after Him because He gives the gifts to whosoever will. Well, David, I don't know if I have a gift. If you're born again, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And how many gifts does the Holy Spirit have? God's. All of them. And so if you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, any one of the gifts that He has can at any time potentially operate through you. Remember, the gifts aren't to you as much as they are through you unto others. If you have a gift of healing, it's not to you as much as it is through you because God is giving the gift of healing through you to somebody else as you lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus and the water flows through your conduit in love to meet the needs of that person and they know they've been touched by Jesus. Even as a Christmas tree if you'll have it has gifts underneath it from Bill to Sherry, from mom to Billy, from dad to Jane, from Jesus to Claudia. When you show up to the Christmas tree on Christmas morning and you look underneath that tree and there's a gift for you with your name on it, you don't look to the tree and say, oh, Christmas tree, thank you for giving me this gift. Neither when God uses us as trees of righteousness and He brings a gift through us and puts it beneath the branches of our tree to someone else when they look to us and say, Oh, thank you for healing me. We immediately say, Oh no, I was simply the bearer or the messenger or the conduit that the gift came through. But the one who sent it to you is Jesus. It's from Jesus to you. Hallelujah. On the other hand, when you see an orange tree and you go pull oranges off the tree, mm-hmm. you can look to the tree and say, that's a great tree that bore some wonderful fruit. Okay, we recognize that the fruit comes from the Creator, but we get a chance to bear the fruit. And so when we see somebody full of the love, full of the joy, full of the peace of God, that's something that they yielded to Christ for that to occur. Versus the gifts that are freely given and you're just a messenger. So when somebody comes with a gift of healing, we thank Jesus for the gift of healing because apart from Him we can do nothing. But with Him... All things are possible and nothing that's imagined is impossible in Christ with godly imagination. Amen? Amen. 
Okay, so the gifts, we acknowledge Jesus who healed us through that person as a messenger. The fruit, the love, the joy, and the peace. We can look at that person and say, I see the love of Jesus. You're filled with the joy of Jesus. That joy is contagious through you. When I get around you, the peace of God just comes on my life. Thank you for yielding to God. You're full of the fruit of the Spirit. The orange tree is full on its branches with oranges. Do you see the difference? Fruit, we bear by yielding. The gifts, he can give to Samson, who can kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, even after he's not been living holy. But the fruit deals with the presence of God relationship. The gifts are the power of God. And you don't always have to have relationship to operate in them. But if you don't, it can become a recipe for disaster. Okay, seven rules or prerequisites to operate in the gifts are as follows. Number one, desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn with me in this. Because we're talking about seven prerequisites to operating in the gifts. And then we're going to talk about seven rules for properly administrating the gifts. But you can't administrate the gifts till you get the gifts. That's right. So we're going to talk about how to get them from God that we can then learn how to administrate them by the leading of the Holy Spirit as we cooperate with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 12. The nine manifestation gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, the love of God. The fruit. 1 Corinthians 14 is the administration of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Follow after love and desire. Say desire. desire. Spiritual gifts. But rather that you might prophesy. Verse 39 says this. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. Wow. That's pretty strong. Thou shalt not covet. But when it comes to prophesying, he says, Thou shalt covet. Well, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? That's a great question. Prophecy is not in this set of notes. <laughs> no, it is. The gift of prophecy defined is simply this. To hear from God and speak to men. Say, prophecy is hearing from God and speaking to men. So we're a conduit. We hear His voice and then we communicate that to other people in His stead. Now here's the thing. When we hear from God... We don't just communicate the mind of the Father, but also the heart of the Father. And His heart is a heart of love. Amen? So here's prophecy defined. It's to hear from God and to speak to men. Well, you say, well, David, I don't know if I can hear God's voice. The Bible says in John 10, 27, my sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice and another they will not follow. You say, well, that's, that's Jesus speaking. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And the Holy Spirit, when He comes into your heart, 
never speaks anything of his own. He only speaks that which he hears. That's not a good sound. Have you ever heard pots and pans hit together? Yeah. It's not a wonderful chiming sound. It's racket. And that's what the gifts are when they operate apart from the fruit. The gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit flow together. In the Old Testament, the temple priest, the high priest, once a year would go behind the curtain to the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of Almighty God manifested in the Holy of Holies. And the curtain was 20 feet high, 40 feet wide, and 2 inches thick. And they would tie a rope around the high priest's foot, his ankle. And here's why. They would tie it around his ankle so that when he went in to the very presence of Almighty God, if he had sin in his life and he dropped dead right there, they could pull him out. But here's what would happen. How would they know he was alive or if he was dead? Here's how they would know. Around the waist of the temple high priest garment, they would put a bell. And then they would put a wooden pomegranate. Bell pomegranate, bell pomegranate, bell pomegranate. All the way around his waist. And have you ever heard a hard wooden object hit a bell? It causes it to chime. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard two hard wooden pieces to hit each other? They thud. And have you ever heard two bells hit each other? They clang. But when a hard object hits a bell, it chimes. When a hard object hits another hard object, it thuds. And when a bell hits a bell, they don't clang, they clunk. They clink. Have you ever done that? Try it at home. Google it. Here's the good news. God separated the bell by a pomegranate, which is a fruit. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And they create a chiming sound when the high priest goes back behind the curtain. They can hear him chiming, chiming. Chiming because bells and fruit are chiming off each other. When we, in the New Testament, are living temples of God, here's what happens. We're called to have the gifts of the Spirit, symbolic of the bells. We're called to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is symbolic of the pomegranates. And together... We create a concerto of sound that's pleasing unto the ears of the Father. What if we have love, joy, peace, meekness, temperance, patience, faithfulness, self-control, and all these fruit, but we lack the power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to prophetically speak into people's lives, to do miracles, to raise the dead, and set the captives free. We become a gooey, lovey church with no power. 
problems can be eliminated by an understanding of God's plan for authority in the church. The apostle, the apostle Paul touched on this in 2 Corinthians 10.13, but we will not boast of things outside our measure or sphere of authority, but according to the measure of rule or authority which God has distributed to us, a measure that reaches even to you. God has given every one of us an individual level of authority and measure of rule to minister within. To go outside that measure of rule is to step out our, outside of our sphere of, of influence or God-ordained measure of rule. It's the same way in the congregations. Number two, know your level of revelation. Never present a word as a higher level of revelation than you've, seen, than you've experienced it. Amen. Number three, Amen. know your level of understanding. Don't prophesy beyond your God-given level of understanding. We just talked about that. If you just get revelation, you don't have interpretation or application, just share the revelation and trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Number four, Know your level of faith. Don't attempt to prophesy beyond your individual level of faith. Question, have you grown in your faith since you've been saved? Yes. You don't have to prophesy at the office of prophet the first day you get born again. Grow in that thing. You don't have to go after cancer the first day that you get saved. Although I think we should. Hallelujah. Right? Sometimes we got more faith then than we do ten years later. Sometimes faith drains out of us. Faith cometh by hearing. Sometimes we hear the wrong thing and faith goeth. Faith might have legs. I don't know. Maybe walking. Anyway, that's a joke. Okay. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given to us, let us exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according, if prophecy prophesy according to the proportion of faith you've been given. Romans 12, 6. Number five. The gifts are always mitigated by love. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and have not love, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13.2 While prophecy involves bringing a message from God, we must also realize that we are ministering to God's children. Yeah. How would you like it if, God, if somebody spoke to your children? Crazy. You wouldn't be very appreciative of it, would you? No. Nope. Well, God's children are who He's sending you to speak to. The saved and the unsaved that he's wanting to make into the family of God through Christ. So here's the thing. While prophecy involves bringing a message from God, we must also realize that we are ministering to his children. We should always minister prophetically motivated by God's love. Love builds up while knowledge alone puffs up. 1 Corinthians 8.1 the true litmus test of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never Fails, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. When you operate in the gifts and you prophesy, it should be in love. And that's the litmus test. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God is love. Herein is love perfected. 
The love of God dwells. God has shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. The gifts operate by faith, and faith worketh by love. When delivering a prophetic word, it's necessary not only to communicate God's mind, but also His heart. And God is love. Number six, always impart hope with the word. If you have a warning dream for somebody that they're about to have a bad business deal, a relationship, tornadoes in a dream that indicate there's going to be turbulence and this and that, that there's going to be an accident or a sickness, you go to them and say, this is what I saw. Let's pray against it that it does not come to pass. Let's pray that like Amos, when God showed Amos the destruction on Jacob, the tribe, he said, oh Lord, Jacob is small. Let it not be so. And then God showed him a lesser judgment. You can intercede and mitigate or make that thing less. Abraham said, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? God says, for 50 righteous, I won't destroy it, even though I've already judged him. He says, how about for, for 30 righteous? How about for 20? And he kept, mo I think if he'd worked with God, down to one, he, he could have said, God, I'm the only righteous one. Right? Yeah. I'm sorry, Lot, not Abraham. Lot and his daughters. And I think he could, because God is so merciful. Moses stood in the gap for all of Israel. God was going to destroy him. It was already a judgment, already an edict. Nineveh. Look at that. With Nineveh, Jonah goes and preaches. They repent and God stays his judgment for many more years. So always impart hope. At the end of Paul's discourse in 1 Corinthians 13, he states that there are three eternal virtues, faith, hope, and love. If we want our ministry to the body of Christ to be eternal in nature, it should contain each of these three qualities, faith, hope, and love. Any prophetic word should not only be given in faith motivated by love, but it should also impart hope to the hearer. Number seven, the final one, always minister in humility. We must always minister in humility. We should not break a bruised reed with our words. See Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. The character and spirit of Christ is to restore and bring healing, not to break and destroy alone. It's to break off the enemy, but to restore the person. It's to break off the sin, but to redeem the sinner. Remember that the gift of prophecy is for what? Strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. To be like Jesus, we must prophesy life to those who are even at the lowest point, not simply tell them how far they have fallen. Ezekiel, when seeing the valley of dry bones, was told by God to prophesy for them to live in Ezekiel 37. This is the character, purpose, and plan of God to thwart the plans of the enemy who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. When we prophesy, hear from God, and communicate the word of the Lord to man, it's to bring life, healing, wholeness, and restoration. What happens if we have faith to move mountains and have not love? We become power Christians that look down upon those 
that don't get healed right away and we kind of skirt them off saying, well, brother or sister, you just don't have enough faith. Because if you had enough faith, we need the faith, we need the love, and we need the hope, which is the three-legged stool. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The gifts operate by faith, and faith worketh by love. You see how it all ties together? Let us move forward in the first portion of this message. Seven. Amen? So when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, it represents Jesus speaking, and Jesus represents the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who's just like me. Amen. My sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow. Now, here's the thing. Do lambs hear his voice? What is a lamb? A lamb is a baby sheep. Lambs do not give birth to lambs. Sheep give birth to lambs. Before a lamb gives birth to a sheep, a lamb must mature and grow up. Amen. Okay? Look to your neighbor and say, time to grow up. <laughs> Amen. So the first thing we do is we desire or we covet after spiritual gifts. Say, Lord, give them to me. Okay, he just heard your prayer. Amen? Amen. The Bible says he gives gifts to whosoever he will. Do you want to know what he spoke to me one day? You want to know who he gives them to? Whosoever will. You want to know who the whosoever's are? Whosoever will. If you want them, he'll give them to you. Because remember, they're not to you as much as they are through you. The more gifts you ask Him for, the less of your own life you're asking for. So when you say, Lord, give me these gifts, you're saying, I'm committing more to you. I'm ready to decrease that you might increase in and through me. Because you're not your own. You belong to Jesus. You're not your own. You belong to Him. You were bought with a price. The blood of Jesus. You're not your own. You belong to Him. When you ask for the gifts and you ask for the fruit, your life starts to become hidden in Him and He starts to shine through you to others. You become more and more like Jesus with skin on. Isn't that exciting? When you look at the palm of your hand, what do you see? We're not palm reading. When you can see the nail-scarred hand of Calvary beneath your skin, He's starting to show up through you and you see it by faith. When you begin to lay hands on the sick, when you begin to hug people, they feel the love of Jesus shining through you. The reason that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so perplexed at the disciples was simply this. They looked at them and they said, these are untrained and ignorant men. They have not been to seminary. They're seminary failures. They didn't even qualify. Yet we know they've been with Jesus because they're doing the exact same thing.
things he did before we had him crucified and now they've multiplied. What are we going to do? We can't stop them. In Acts 17.6 it says, They that have turned the world upside down have come here too. Is that what the world says when you show up as a Christian on the scene in the marketplace? At a house? When you walk in, can you see the devil starting to shake and tremble and try to manipulate and move and try to block you from getting in because they know you're full of the Holy Ghost. They know something's about to change in the atmosphere. They know a sick person's about to get healed. They know a person that's in torment is about to be in peace. They know that a marital relationship is about to be reconciled. They know that somebody's about to get saved or filled with the Holy Spirit because you walked on the scene. Justice, mercy, liberty shows up because you've been in the presence of Jesus. You've sought Him and desired the gifts for others. You've sought Him. You've spent time in His presence. You've been transformed into the same image and likeness of Jesus in the presence of the Lord, in the Holy of Holies. You've had your bells and your pomegranate. You've had your gifts and your fruits chiming off in the presence of Almighty God where deep calls unto deep at the noise of His water spouts. All the waves and billows of His presence wash over you. And like Moses that came down off the mountain and had been in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he came off, his face shone like an angel. Like Peter's shadow that shined off of him, healed the sick and cast out devils as people just got in line on the sidewalk to get near him. As Jesus walked through the streets, people reached out to touch the hem of his garment knowing that when they connected by faith, virtue would flow out of the hem of his garment, out of the seat seat, out of the names of God that came off his robe and they would be healed and delivered. And scripture says in Mark 6.56 that all that touched him were made whole. That's what God wants. And this is why He's asking us to seek after the gifts, to earnestly desire to covet the greater gifts. Well, David, what are the greater gifts? The greater gifts are the ones that you need in that moment. What's the greatest gift? It's the gift you need in that moment. If you need a spare tire because you've got a flat tire, that's a very important thing to have. But if you don't need one, it might sit in your trunk for five years never used. If you need a gift of healing and there's nobody sick, that's not the one you need. But you might need discerning of spirits to recognize something in the room. So the gift that you need is the one that's the most important in the hour. Hmm. Number two. Number one is seek, desire spiritual gifts. Number two is seek to use these gifts for the building up of others. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, Even so as ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts. In other words, you're already desiring, you're zealous for them. Now seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. In other words, by building others up. Why do I want the gifts? To make others better. It's not for me to have gifts or to you to have gifts so that we can be seen as gifted. No. Remember, 
We're the tree of righteousness that he puts the gifts beneath the branches of. He gets the credit and he leads people back to himself. Amen. So it's for others that you ask God for the gifts. The more gifts you ask him for, the less you should become in your own eyes. Because the gifts come with responsibility. Say responsibility. responsibility. You know what responsibility is? It's your response to your ability. The more gifts you have, the more ability you have, and now you're more responsible to respond to the ability you've been given. And that's when your life becomes not your own because when He wakes you in the middle of the night and tells you it's time to use your gift of intercessory prayer or your gift of praying in tongues, your life is not your own. You asked Him for the gifts. Now it's time to respond to your God-given ability that He's given you. Does this put things or help put things in perspective? Yes. Scripture says, Brethren, concerning spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, I would not have you to be ignorant. Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you ignorant. And then he goes into three chapters talking about the gifts sandwiched between love and the administration on how to operate in them. So the second thing is, seek for the building up of others. The third thing, don't be childish in your understanding, but in your malice be children. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.20 says this, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be adults. So God wants us to grow from lambs to sheep so we can give birth to some lambs again, right? Amen. So in our understanding, we're to be adult, but in our malicious attitudes, we need to be like children. Children are not malicious as adults are. We're like inventors of evil things if we don't watch ourselves. But now that we're Christians, we don't do that anymore, do we? Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen? Okay. Number three, submit the gifts that you've been given, prophetic gifts, discerning of spirits, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Submit to godly judging of those gifts. For example, I've known people that have come, uh, I call them parking lot prophets. They don't seem to be able to get into the pulpit to prophesy, and I think there's a reason for that. But if you catch them in the parking lot, they always got a prophecy for it. But when you go to record what they're saying, they don't give you a chance to get out your iPhone or recording device because they don't want to be accountable for, what, for what's been said. They don't want anybody else to judge it because it's just a private prophetic word between you and them and God. God. They always have that... God, you know, it's always real spiritual with the these and the thous. You know, it's like some, like you know, somebody said to me one day. They said, "Well, brother David, you know, I'll read the King James Bible. It's the only translation. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me." I'm like, "1611 King James Version, dude. Do the math. You know, it's like, does God speak King James? Sure. He also speaks NIV." He also speaks Swahili and Chinese. God speaks it all. The thing is, what is He speaking to you and does it line up 
with what he's already said because he's not speaking something outside of this book. Amen. He framed the world with his word. Right. He's not going to hang something outside the frame. Amen. Okay. So submit what you're operating in to godly judgment. Well, they just, they just, they don't understand me. Really, why is that? Are they filled with the Spirit? Maybe there's a reason they don't understand you. Maybe you're outside the frame. Or maybe you need to submit to somebody in another congregation that's operating at the level you are. Maybe you're a level 7 gift in a church where the pastor is only a level 3. You're going to run into problems there because you'll never be able to effectively operate above the level of the leadership. So if that's the case and it's really true, ask them to bless you on the way out so that you can go get into a congregation where there's a number 8 leader who can raise you up to a 7 and then have that one bless you as you go to an 8 under a level 9. Does that make sense? You don't go from nursery school to master's degree overnight. You may not need a level 9 leader over you. You may only need a level 3 when you're first born again. They're good enough. But don't stay there forever if God's moving you on. Don't stay in the third grade if God's calling you into middle school. Don't stay in middle school if He's calling you to high school in the Spirit. And don't stay in high school if He's calling you into college. And don't stay in that bachelor's degree program if He's calling you into a master's degree or a doctorate. Learn where God's called you and flow in the curriculum of the Lord and get under the right leadership that you can submit your gifts to that they might build up and edify the body of Christ. When I walk into a service and I'm not in authority, I do not operate in gifts that I have even though I can Clanging cymbal, resounding brass. Though I have faith that can move mountains and have not love. If I don't submit to proper authority, I'm out of order. And even though I can get that gift off, it'll cause more problems than good. So you wait upon the Lord. And here's what will happen. If you'll wait long enough, God will create the atmosphere for you to operate in that gift because He really wants to give the gift to someone. And guess what? He may not have to give it to him through you. Maybe it's your job to go into prayer and intercession for him to release it through the pastor or through somebody that's known in the congregation where the gifts can operate safely instead of with suspect. Does that make some sense? Okay, number four, submit to judging. Let two or three prophets speak, verse 29, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Number five, submit to authority. Verses 31 and 33 of 1 Corinthians 14. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder but of peace as the congregation as in all the congregation of the saints. Now here's what we have here. You can all prophesy. You want to know who can prophesy? Everybody in this room. Why? Because prophecy is hearing from God and speaking to men. And prophecy comes by hearing His voice, right? Well, guess what? My sheep hear my voice. 
and another they will not follow. So if you're a sheep, you hear his voice, then God can speak to people through you, can't he? Isn't that exciting? Now, does that make you a prophet? No. Any more than my seventh grade carpentry project that took me an entire semester to make a shelving unit out of cherry wood while everybody else around me was making these incredible, ornate things with these wooden legs that were carved. I mean, phenomenal stuff. Me, I'm not really that gifted in the carpentry department. I had flat boards. I had to come in after school. And I had to work with one of those that were carpentry gifted in the 7th and 8th grade. And they helped me put in the tongue and groove with the glue. And then I had it overnight. And I brought it out and it broke. <laughs> now, semester, I got it and I got a, a white ribbon on that one, which is third place. <laughs> Nowadays, they give everybody a ribbon and it's all like first place, you know, this entitlement. You know, we don't want to offend anybody. I'm glad I got third place. You know why? It let me know what I wasn't good at. Oh, wow. Okay? So you've got to know what you're not good at sometimes. Thank God when they tell you, look, you got third. What's honorable mention mean? It means you're no good. Pick another trade with all due respect. Okay, today, a few years later since the 7th and 8th grade, I still have that cherry wood shelving unit it still exists and it has my Christian books on it, my library on it. So it's still around. But here's the good news. I recognize that even though I was able to make a carpentry object, I am not a carpenter. I serve a carpenter from Nazareth. Just because you hear from God and speak to men, you prophesied doesn't make you a prophet. Get the difference? You can prophesy, doesn't automatically put you in the office of prophet. So don't get it twisted. Hallelujah. We're going to get to what prophecy is in a second. So you may all prophesy, but are all prophets? And the answer is no. So in the same passage, 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians, it says, are all apostles, are all prophets? No. Yet, over here it says, but you may all prophesy. Do you see the difference? Yeah. So if not all are prophets, but all may prophesy, just prophesying doesn't make you a prophet, even though it might evidence that you're called to that office. It evidenced that I could do carpentry work, but it was evident from honorable mention, white ribbon, that I was not called to be a carpenter. Even though it still stands today. Okay. Number six, number five was submit to authority. Number six, oh, by the way, submit to authority. If you have a prophetic word and the pastor is operating in the spirit, God is not, he'll give you a prophetic word. All you have to do is raise your hand. And if it's of the Lord and the pastor is flowing in the spirit, he'll look he'll recognize that God is getting ready to speak because he too has the Spirit. And he'll point and he'll say, Stan, we have 
either a tongue or an interpretation or a prophetic word. Normally he'll know what it is. And he'll probably know the same prophecy because he's getting it too. But that the body of Christ might be edified and the focus is taken off. The pastor is the one man evangelizing band. That the body of Christ might operate in the gifts because all may prophesy, right? These signs will follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out demons. All can cast out demons. They will speak with... Who does it follow? These signs will follow them who believe. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is just typical Bible 101 for the basic believer. That's it. This isn't like you got to go to seminary for that. Matter of fact, if you go to seminary, they might talk you out of it. They will. They do. People go to the seminary, they come back like they've been to the cemetery, half dead. You get through seminary school with any faith at all, sometimes it's a miracle. And they theologize everything. Now don't get me wrong, there's some great seminary schools. They put banks on the river, but don't let them dry up the river in the process. Amen? And then people that haven't been to formal training, sometimes they let the water run everywhere. Right? We need both. We need the banks on the river, some good training, and we also need the water in the river. Okay? Because guess what's in the river? Fish. And he wants to make you fish or a man. Amen? You catch him, he'll clean them. Sometimes he cleans them through your hands. That's a whole other message. How's your fishing been? Good. That's right. Your fishing's been good. Amen. And remember this. Fishermen... Don't go fishing in the bathtub in their house. Sometimes you've got to leave the house. Yeah. Well, I won my family to Christ 17 times this year. Get out of the house. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay. Submit to authority. Amen? Okay, number six. Gifts line up with the word. Okay? He doesn't speak outside of his word, but he might speak something that's not specifically in there. God, who am I supposed to marry? Well, Proverbs 31 will give you a line, a guideline of what a Proverbs 31 woman is. Right? He'll, the word will also show you who Jezebel is and who Delilah is. Right? It'll also show you who Nabal is for men. So when you girls go looking for a husband... See if it lines up with a godly man. And when you men go looking for a wife, see if it lines up with a godly woman. And then he may speak by prophecy through somebody who doesn't have an investment in the situation to speak into your life to confirm what God is speaking to you. Now, if perchance somebody of the opposite sex comes to you and says, the Lord told me. That's possible. But God will never only speak it to one. He'll speak it to two. Your heart may not be open to receive it at that time, but God will confirm it. But I can tell you personally, I've had the privilege of a few coming to me over the years that had the Jesus vision. But I didn't get the same vision. Okay? Now I'm going to share this with you. That's a delicate... No, seriously, that's a delicate moment. 
Because you got to remember, you be very careful when somebody comes to you that way. And here's why. Here's why. Because you could tremendously hurt one of God's daughters or one of God's sons in that situation. Because when they come and they sense they've had that encounter with the Lord, if you tell them, <coughs> ain't no way you heard from Jesus on this one. If you were the last person on the planet, I wouldn't marry you. I would have to have Jesus Himself come down with a rack of angels, a choir telling me, the presence of God knocking me on my back, and hearing the words, I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came in the flesh. You are to marry so-and-so. I actually know of a story where a guy did that to a godly woman, and it's so damaged her. So be very careful with people's emotions. In a situation, you respectfully say, this is what I would advise you. Okay, I'll take that to prayer. If it's of the Lord, I want the Lord's will like you want the Lord's will. I mean, don't you really want the Lord's will? Amen. He might have to change some of your desires. You know, you may still like Delilah and he's wanting to give you Proverbs 31 woman. And you're like, well, I'm just so used to Delilah and Jezebel. I like that. You know, my last girlfriend was the world's li only living heart donor. Heartless. Okay. Okay. That's a bank joke where only the teller laughs, evidently. Okay. So the point is this. When they come to you like that, you graciously and sincerely... Respond to them saying, I will take that to prayer because you should because that's, 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 a, that's a delicate moment. Because if you say what that one minister said to a dear friend of mine, it can damage them. And now, they're going to wonder whether or not they're hearing from God in a number of areas and it may derail them and shipwreck them in their faith. Yes, that's true. Amen? Amen. Because all may prophesy, all may hear from God and speak to men, but sometimes our emotions get involved and can pollute things at best. Sometimes it can pervert things at worst. Okay. Number 40, or number 7. So the gifts line up with the word number 6. Number 7, godly order. Godly order. Let all things be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14.40 Now, question. When basketball players play basketball, it's the winning shot, there's three seconds left on the clock, and a guy's got to sink a three-pointer on the run on a full-court press. Okay. Do you think that maybe he's practiced that shot a few times before? Probably yeah. so. How many times do you think he missed it in practice? That's right. You don't want to know how many shots that you, you miss in basketball? Every one you don't take. You miss every shot you don't take because it never leaves your hand. So when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, we need to have an atmosphere when we're learning the gifts on a prayer evening with each other in small groups where we have liberty to miss it Amen. and not be judged but that we judge the miss so that we're, when we're in a full court press we know how to hit the shot 
and how to deposit that gift in the right place in the right way. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, this is what I sense the Lord says, and you're like, ain't no way on planet earth God said that. You need to say, you know what? Let's pray about that. I'm not sensing, I'm not witnessing that's the Lord. You don't judge them, you judge the manifestation or you judge the gift or you judge fruit. We're fruit inspectors, we're not people judgers. Judge not lest you be judged, yet submit your gifts to godly judgment. Do you see the balance there? Covet not. The gifts, covet. Judge not people, yet judge fruit and judge the gifts to see if they're of God. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to move on. The gift of prophecy. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, by the way, the word of the Lord came is recorded 88 times between Isaiah and Zechariah. That's how often the word of the Lord came unto so-and-so. Prophecy is throughout Scripture. Dreams and visions throughout Scripture. Over a third of the Bible is recorded from dreams and visions people saw. Prophecy comes by dream, by vision. Moses was faithful in all God's house. He did not see the Lord in a dream or a vision. He saw Him face to face, mouth to mouth. God spoke to him audibly. That's how he wrote the 613 Levitical laws. That's how he wrote the five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Past, present, and the future was compiled through Moses' ink pen because he was the meekest man on all the earth. God could trust him and spoke to him face to face, mouth to mouth, audibly. And he wrote the Mosaic Law, Moses. He said, when a prophet or a dreamer, I speak to him in... Let's just turn, Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Because I want to distinguish this. Numbers chapter 12. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. And if we want to learn to operate in the gifts to be more effective for the king so that we can release the gifts to the people who need them, we need to learn these rules and prerequisites. If not, it'll be a recipe for disaster. And this is why most churches don't want the gifts operating. Because people have operated in the gifts without the fruit and they've operated apart from wisdom. Amen? Amen. Numbers 12 verse 6. And God said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet... Among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Verse 7, My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. Verse 8, With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Dark speeches... That's not the way God spoke to Moses, but that's the way he spoke to some of the prophets. You ever had a dream and not know what it meant? Dark speech. Illustration. There are three levels of prophecy. There's the testimony of Jesus, which is what Jesus has done. Our brother who got born again last week got up and gave his testimony about what Jesus has done. He's quitting smoking. He's quitting drinking. He's going to marry his girlfriend. He's getting his whole life right. And God's blessed. He's in the Word of God now. It's the testimony of Jesus. He wasn't quoting 17 verses. He wasn't talking hermeneutics and homiletics and eschatology. He didn't even know what the word propitiation meant. But guess what? 
He is born again and He's going to heaven. And when He spoke and He quoted John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. When it came out of His mouth, we felt it. Because it was the testimony of what Jesus has done in his life. Revelation 19.10 says, And I fell at the angel's feet to worship him. And the angel said unto me, Do not do it. I am your fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Say the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you testify about what Jesus has done in your life and transformed you and is from the heart as a young believer, it will touch everybody's heart that hears it. You may all prophesy with the testimony of Jesus, of what He's done. The simple gift of prophecy is found in 1 Corinthians 14, and this is what we're talking about. That's why we desire the gifts. We seek the building up of others. We're not to be childish, but to be adult in our understanding. We're to submit to judging. We're to submit to authority. And that the gifts will line up with God's Word. And we're to have godly order because God's not the author of confusion. The simple gift of prophecy is for this. It's for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of others within the body of Christ. So the first level is the testimony of Jesus, what Jesus has done for you, and it speaks prophetically into people's lives because they, you're hearing from God and speaking to men. Number two, it's a simple gift of prophecy for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Or in the NIV, it's strengthening encouragement and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, NIV version, but everyone who prophesies, hears from God and speaks to men, speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. If you're coming with a harsh word to somebody and you're not operating in the office of prophet, be very careful. That's dangerous. That's gifts without fruit. And it's a recipe for disaster. Immature prophets make this mistake. They bring the mind of God on the matter without the heart of God on the matter. Persimmons are like prophets. Young man was with his father out hunting. They were on the back 40, so to speak. And it was springtime. And the father came across a persimmon tree. Grabbed a persimmon off, shined it up, threw it to his son, grabbed a persimmon for him, shined it up. And he says, go ahead, son. It's a persimmon. You'll love it. So the father goes in to bite into it. The father doesn't. The son does. And it was not the time for persimmons to be plucked from the tree. And it tasted like alum. And the boy's mouth alumed up. And he looked at his father. This is a bitter fruit. And the father just laughed and laughed. The son was upset. A month later, they were out hunting again. They came across the same persimmon tree. The father grabs a persimmon off, shines it up, throws it to the son. The son grabs it. The father grabs one, shines it up, says, Go ahead, son. He says, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, dad. You've taught me that. I am no fool. The father says, I'm going to teach you another lesson today. The father bites into the persimmon that a month ago was incredibly bitter. And now it's incredibly sweet. And his juice runs off the father's chin and he takes another bite and he smiles at the son. He says, go ahead, son. Give it a try. Well, the son gently nibbles on it and all of a sudden he can't believe how sweet the persimmon is. That's how prophets are when they're young and unripened. They can be the most bitter thing in the world. 
But once they get seasoned in the Son of God, in His presence, they become some of the sweetest things on earth as gifts from heaven. So when you run into a bitter persimmon that's operating prophetically, pray for them because one day they will ripen. And they'll go from bitter to sweet. And you need to let them know, I received the word, but I reject the spirit you came in. I eat the chicken, I spit up the bones. But I don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So when somebody comes to you with a right word and a wrong spirit, a mature believer will do this. That was a right word, even though I didn't like it. I hated the spirit it came in. I'm going to reject the spirit, receive the word. That make sense? Okay, so the second level is the simple gift of prophecy. It's for edification, exhortation, and comfort, or strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14.3. Acts 21.8 gives an example. On the next day, we who were with Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, Acts 21.9. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. They weren't prophets, but they prophesied. They had the simple gift of prophecy for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. See, you've got those that prophesy and then one who's named a prophet. What does he do? And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Different level. That didn't seem very strengthening. That didn't seem very encouraging. That didn't seem very comforting, did it? That must be a different level of the prophetic. So that's the office of the prophet which includes the testimony of Jesus, which includes the simple gift of prophecy for edification, exhortation, and comfort, and it also includes the other prophetic aspects of the office of the prophet, which is for prediction or foretelling by the Holy Ghost, it's for rebuke or correction, or for direction and guidance. Well, David, that's way out of my league. Well, how about this? How about you just seek Him for whatever gift He's directing you to seek Him for? And you start with the simple gift of prophecy or you start with the testimony of Jesus and tell everybody about what Jesus has done for you. Amen. And then when He starts to speak to you and you hear from God, communicate His mind and His heart on the matter. Now, there's a lot of information tonight. Yeah. But here's what happens. Sometimes things aren't taught, they're caught. And as I'm speaking tonight, something's going to come from the Lord that's for you and for you and for you and then He'll confirm it somewhere else. You can also get the CD and watch it online if you want. A lot of information. But here's the thing. There are three components to a prophetic word. And this is where people make mistakes. The first component is revelation. The first component is revelation. Revelation is component one. Three components. Two, A, 
prophetic word. Here they are. Revelation. Is it God? Is it the flesh? Is it the devil? Is it too much anchovies and pizza with ice cream before you went to bed and had a pizza dream? And you woke up thinking it was God when really it was just indigestion. Anybody had a pizza dream before? A food dream? You eat yeah. too late at night and you have some weird dreams and you come to some Christian friend. You're like, I have these really weird dreams. They look at you like, I don't have any interpretation. Guess what? It was pizza. It was anchovies. It was ice cream. Shelve it. Get rid of it. It just was what it was. Okay? I have some people come to me and they're like, I'm like, I have no interpretation for that. Lord's like, I didn't give that to them. That's from their own soulish realm. They ate too much before bed. Discard it. Hallelujah. Okay? Now, if it's God, you move to component two, which is interpretation. Interpretation is, what does this mean? Okay, so you have a dream in dark speeches, in dark sayings, it's concealed. Then we seek the Lord for interpretation that He might bring the light on the matter. So you get revelation, it's God, but I don't know what it means. Well, I'm stuck on component two. A transistor radio has got components in it. If one of them is out, you can't get the full transmission. You might have your receiver on, but your speaker might be broke so you can't hear. Or you may have to dial into the station by spending time in prayer to hear Him accurately because you're hearing Him staticky. Illustration, if I had a microphone right now and I was speaking through the microphone, you could hear me in a stadium. But if I backed away from the microphone, my voice was still the same. The farther I got back away from the microphone, the lighter my voice would get. It's the same way with the Lord. The louder His voice often is, the closer you get to Him. And if you're not hearing Him accurately... Spend some time in prayer and fasting and see if He won't show up. Sometimes we've got to get away from all the other voices of the world. If everybody was in here and everybody was yelling and screaming and talking and having a good time and one person was trying to talk to me from 10 feet away, I might not be able to hear them. But if all of a sudden I pulled that person aside privately, I could hear them clearly. Sometimes you've got to put away the clamor of your cell phone and the internet and the text messaging and all the voices of the world that contend for attention for your time and get alone with Jesus so you can hear Him privately. Amen. And you can hear Him clearly. Not just His words, but His heart on the matter. Because it's a matter of the heart. The third component is number three. Application. What do we do? How do we apply this? Illustration I gave recently was this. A man is praying over somebody and he sees a short film clip of a vision of a candle burning brightly over the man's head. And he's like, wow, what does that mean? Is that revelation? Is it God? He had peace. See, the peace of God will we'll be the umpire on the matter. You'll know it's God a lot of times because it will witness in your spirit or you'll have an uplifting from the inside or you'll just have this peace. And it's not just one time that it'll come up. 
It'll come up. You'll be like, I don't know if that's you, Lord. You'll just kind of dismiss it. It'll come up again. And then it'll come up again. You'll be able to say, you know, for the last four or five minutes, this saying, I don't know what it means, but I sense that it's the first component of a prophetic word. I sense that it's God. I've got peace. It keeps coming up. It's not my thought, but I don't know the interpretation or the application. So here's what happened. The man looked and he's like, you know, maybe I'll interpret this. Maybe this is, you know, the, the candle of the Lord is burning brightly in a man and the, 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 the Spirit of the Lord is the candle in man and he's got these verses that are kind of, he's trying to grab, but he doesn't have peace about it. And so he finally just says, you know what? All I've got is component one and I don't know what it means, but we're the body of Christ. I'm going to share with you all that I have and maybe we can seek the Lord together. And the man says, okay. And he says, I had a short film clip vision of a candle burning brightly over your head. The man's like, praise God, I'm supposed to take the job at the candle factory. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now who would know that? <laughs> but here's where he could have polluted the prophetic word. He could have forced an interpretation and he could have forced an application and then the word he gave the man would have had to have said, you know what, you've got to write revelation, but your interpretation and application doesn't have anything to do with my situation. But I recognize, as a mature believer, what God was trying to speak through this conduit, but it got twisted, added to. Don't add to or take away from what God has said. The other thing is this. Don't share a revelation that you've gotten as if you got it at a higher level. Because if you heard it in the still small voice, share, I got the still small voice I heard. If you heard it as an audible voice, share, God just spoke to me audibly. But don't say, an angel appeared unto me. <laughs> you know, and there's a scripture where a, a real prophet was so starved for fellowship it's 1 Kings 13, or 2 Kings 13, where he lied and he said, an angel of the Lord appeared to me this day and he said, you're to come back to my house and have dinner. While they're at dinner, but the scripture says, but he lied to him. But he was a real prophet, but he lied because he was starved for fellowship to be with another prophet. While they're at dinner, the real word of the Lord comes to the prophet who just lied. He says, thus saith the Lord, because you disobeyed the word of the Lord, a lion will eat you when you leave. Right. Bummer. <laughs> Bad day at the office. Bad day at the office. So real prophets, if they're not careful, will be starved for fellowship at times and they'll manipulate because they lack proper character or they're just hungry for fellowship with someone else. Revelation, interpretation, application. Don't claim you heard something at a level of revelation and communicate it that way when it wasn't that way that you got it. People come to me and they say, Lord, the Lord spoke to me, David. I'm like, okay, really? How did he speak? Well, he just spoke. Was it dream? Was it revelation? Was it vision? Was it prophecy? Um, uh, did, was it a messenger angel? Did Jesus appear to you? Was it a quickening of the Holy Spirit as you were reading the Word? What exactly happened? Was, was it just a sudden perceiving? Was it... Well, how did he speak? If they're truly hearing from the Lord, this is what they'll say. They'll say, you know what? It was just an unction. So really, it's an unction. 
And now we need to test the unction to see if it's of the Lord. And if a person comes to you in that spirit, they've got humility. And they're not prophesying beyond their realm of authority or their level of faith. They're operating in truth. Is that helpful? Yeah. So here what we have, we're closing. There's seven rules for properly administrating prophecy. Administering prophecy. Number one, know your level of authority. Don't go into a congregation where you don't have authority and act like you do. If I'm in this congregation, I have authority as the leader of this fellowship to prophesy at the leading of the Holy Spirit. But if I go to somebody else's church, I don't have that same authority. Do you know why? I'm outside my realm of authority. Every one of us is given a sphere of authority. Illustration. If I have children and they're fighting in the backyard, I have the authorities because they're my kids to go and discipline them appropriately. Say, that's it. Both of you, stop fighting. I can separate them. I can put them down at the friendship table and make them look at each other until they laugh and, and make up. Okay? If necessary, I can even discipline them within the parameters of the law. And I can say, okay, you don't get to have television. You don't, you, okay, I'm taking away the cell phone. Okay, no internet for you, no television, whatever. I can do that. Now, if my neighbor says to me, David, I want you to watch my kids. I have limited authority the minute I go to somebody else's house to watch their kids. Now I'll say this. My mom, when I was a kid, when she asked somebody to watch us, she gave them full authority. <laughs> she said, listen, if my kid messes up, I want you to do this, this, and this to the full extent of that spanking. Wow. As if it was me, I want you to go ahead and have the full authority. <laughs> Which made me go, boy, I can't get away with anything even though she's not here. So the point is this, know your level of authority and don't go beyond your level of authority in these matters. Many problems can be eliminated by an understanding of God's plan for authority in the church. The apostle, the apostle Paul touched on this in 2 Corinthians 10.13. But we will not boast of things outside our measure or sphere of authority, but according to the measure of rule or authority which God has distributed to us, a measure that reaches even to you. God has given every one of us an individual level of authority and measure of rule to minister within. To go outside that measure of rule is to step out our, outside of our sphere of, of influence or God-ordained measure of rule. It's the same way in the congregations. Number two, know your level of revelation. Never present a word as a higher level of revelation than you've, seen, than you've experienced it. Amen. Number three, Amen. know your level of understanding. Don't prophesy beyond your God-given level of understanding. We just talked about that. If you just get revelation, you don't have interpretation or application, just share the revelation and trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Number four, Know your level of faith. Don't attempt to prophesy beyond your individual level of faith. Question, have you grown in your faith since you've been saved? Yes. You don't have to prophesy at the office of prophet the first day you get born again. Grow in that thing. You don't have to go after cancer the first day that you get saved. 
although I think we should. Hallelujah. Right? Sometimes we got more faith then than we do ten years later. Sometimes faith drains out of us. Faith cometh by hearing. Sometimes we hear the wrong thing and faith goeth. Faith might have legs. I don't know. Maybe walking. Anyway, that's a joke. Okay. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given to us, let us exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according, if prophecy prophesy according to the proportion of faith you've been given. Romans 12, 6. Number five. The gifts are always mitigated by love. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and have not love, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13.2 While prophecy involves bringing a message from God, we must also realize that we are ministering to God's children. How would you like it if, God, if somebody spoke to your children? Crazy. You wouldn't be very appreciative of it, would you? No. Nope. Well, God's children are who He's sending you to speak to. The saved and the unsaved that he's wanting to make into the family of God through Christ. So here's the thing. While prophecy involves bringing a message from God, we must also realize that we are ministering to his children. We should always minister prophetically motivated by God's love. Love builds up while knowledge alone puffs up. 1 Corinthians 8.1 the true litmus test of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never Fails, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. When you operate in the gifts and you prophesy, it should be in love. And that's the litmus test. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God is love. Herein is love perfected. The love of God dwell. God has shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. The gifts operate by faith, and faith worketh by love. When delivering a prophetic word, it's necessary not only to communicate God's mind, but also His heart. And God is love. Number six, always impart hope with the word. If you have a warning dream for somebody, that they're about to have a bad business deal, a relationship, tornadoes in a dream that indicate there's going to be turbulence and this and that, that there's going to be an accident or a sickness. You go to them and say, this is what I saw. Let's pray against it that it does not come to pass. Amen. Let's pray that like Amos, when God showed Amos the destruction on Jacob, the tribe, he said, oh Lord, Jacob is small. Let it not be so. And then God showed him a lesser judgment. You can intercede and mitigate or make that thing less. Abraham said, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? God says, for 50 righteous, I won't destroy it, even though I've already judged him. He says, how about for, for 30 righteous? How about for 20? And he kept, I think if he'd worked with God, down to one, he, he could have said, God, I'm the only righteous one. 
Right? Yeah. I'm sorry, Lot, not Abraham. Lot and his daughters. And I think he could because God is so merciful. Moses stood in the gap for all of Israel. God was going to destroy him. It was already a judgment, already an edict. Nineveh. Look at that. With Nineveh, Jonah goes and preaches. They repent and God stays his judgment for many more years. So always impart hope. At the end of Paul's discourse in 1 Corinthians 13, he states that there are three eternal virtues, faith, hope, and love. If we want our ministry to the body of Christ to be eternal in nature, it should contain each of these three qualities, faith, hope, and love. Any prophetic word should not only be given in faith motivated by love, but it should also impart hope to the hearer. Number seven, the final one, always minister in humility. We must always minister in humility. We should not break a bruised reed with our words. See Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. The character and spirit of Christ is to restore and bring healing, not to break and destroy alone. It's to break off the enemy, but to restore the person. It's to break off the sin, but to redeem the sinner. Remember that the gift of prophecy is for what? Strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. To be like Jesus, we must prophesy life to those who are even at the lowest point, not simply tell them how far they have fallen. Ezekiel, when seeing the valley of dry bones, was told by God to prophesy for them to live in Ezekiel 37. This is the character, purpose, and plan of God to thwart the plans of the enemy who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. When we prophesy, hear from God, and communicate the word of the Lord to man, it's to bring life, healing, wholeness, and restoration. Tammy, would you come up here? I want to give an illustration. Never try to intimidate anyone in a ministry situation. It's intimidating enough when a person gets called out by prophecy. It's intimidating. I'm not going to prophesy to her. I don't have a word from the Lord. Okay, We could stir up the gift and get one because you can just lay hands on somebody and God will just start to flow that way because He just loves to speak to His people. But that's not the illustration we're doing here. Never try to intimidate anyone, intimidate anyone in a ministry situation. If someone is seated before you and you receive a word for him or her, first bend down. Let me grab a chair real quick. I'll show you an illustration. So here's Tammy. She's seated right here. And so I get a prophetic word for Tammy. And as I come over to Tammy, this is not the way for me to minister the prophetic word. It's not to be like this. Thus saith the Lord. Pointing down at her as I'm lording over her. That's dangerous. How did you feel? Yeah, you don't even want to receive the word, right? Why? Because you're like, oh my gosh, what is he saying? However, if I came to Tammy like this, I said, you know, I really sense the Lord's given. You see how the intimidation moves away? And now I'm her servant. Jesus washed what? Feet. He knelt before people and he washed feet. And so as we minister a prophetic word, we can look up in their eyes, not point down to... It feels completely different, doesn't it? 
How does that feel when I stand and point over you? Just the, just the, it's intimidating, isn't it? It's oppressive. There are few times when you have to go to somebody in the, and then it's the office of prophet. And then after Jesus whipped them with a cat of nine tails, he went and wept over their souls. So if you're a prophet that goes like that, you also ought to be weeping over their souls after you leave. Thanks, Tim. And if you're not weeping over their souls after you leave, after you've operated in a strong word like that, I question whether or not God sent you on the first place. Does that make sense? And here's another thing. Humility removes intimidation that accompanies someone towering over a person. But remember this. Never assume you have the right to lay hands on anyone and pray for them. That is not assumption that you can just walk up. I was in a jewelry store the other day with a friend, got a prophetic word for a woman who needed some healing, and long story short, we ministered to her, we didn't lay hands on her, we asked permission, would it be okay if we prayed for you? Well, yes. Is it okay if I lay my hand on your shoulder? I'm a Christian. My father was a minister. She's familiar with that. She gave permission. Never assume. you. I see people go like this. They, they walk out. They grab somebody by the head. They pull out their four-gallon bottle of anointing oil with a hydraulic hand sprayer. <laughs> Spray them. I, I mean, what would you do if you had never been in a church service, didn't know this is going on, and some lunatic, Pentecostal, charismatic maniac shows up anointing you with a vial of oil, ruining your suit, and then this is what the Lord says. It would drive me nuts. It would freak you out. And you'd be like, whatever church they're from, I need to know so I can avoid it. But if a person came to you in humility, looked up to you and said, I sense the Lord wants to heal you. Do you have uh, a pain in your lower back L2 and L3 in your lower lumbars. They're like, well, yeah, I just got diagnosed with that. Now it raises their level of faith. Would it be okay if I prayed for you? Well, well now their faith levels up because you know something that only they and the doctor know. And so you're like, would it be okay? Well, I don't know. That's okay. I'll just speak to it if that's okay. L2 and L3, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I command you under the sound of my voice, in Jesus' name, to go back into your correct position. Pain, go. Infirmity, go. In Jesus' name. And then you simply say to them, what's the level of pain that you are, has diminished? And they'll be like, looking at you kind of strange, and they'll say, you know what, my back just became hot. And they'll reach their fingers back there, they'll start to move, something will pop, and they'll look, and their face will have this goofy look on it. It's that goofy, got touched by God looked. Now, they're healed. Now, if they've got other infirmities or personal issues to pray about, they're completely open and you have an open heaven over their lives. Now, you can pray over knees, heart issues, relationship issues. Now, you can share the love of God with them. If they're backslidden, you can help bring them back to Christ. If they don't know Jesus, what a great opportunity because Jesus always is willing to save anyone he's just healed because he never heals unless he's willing to forgive. Do you see how exciting the gifts of the Spirit can be?
when wielded properly, mitigated by love. The gifts of the Spirit are the bells. The fruit of the Spirit are the pomegranates. Are they about your waist as you go into the Holy of Holies? And are they about your waist as you carry the Holy of Holies to the people in the world? Let us stand. Lord, help us to know you in a better way. Lord, give us a greater measure of your Spirit. And we recognize tonight that as we ask for the gifts that you've told us to covet after, we're literally saying like John the Baptist did, it is time that we must decrease, he must increase. It's time that he increases and by extension, our life is not our own anymore. It belongs to Jesus. We were bought with a price. The blood of Jesus. And we recognize that as we carry your gifts into the earth, the gifts are yours. And they're for those that you want to give them to. We also ask for the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the meekness, the temperance, the patience, the love, the self-control. Because faith worketh by love. We thank you for imparting every gift that you desire to give to these vessels in this room and under the sound of my voice that people might be built up and restored, that they might know Jesus. Those in agreement said, Amen. I, I sense I'm supposed to do one more thing. Just say, Lord, give me every gift that I need to display you and your goodness in the earth. I yield. Bear fruit through me. And bring the gifts under my branches. That it might meet the needs of your people. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This has been another powerful teaching by David Herabedian. For additional resource material, visit the shop link at davidherabedian.com.